Welcome to another edition of Inside the Economy. I'm Larry Howes. Thanks for joining me. This time I want to talk a little bit about consumer spending and how it's keeping the U.S. economy moving forward. How the Fed is probably taking a vacation for the foreseeable future. They're done lowering rates, very likely. You never really know, but the chances are we're at a good place right now. And I'm going to revisit the age of hydrocarbons. There have been several questions on why I think that reliance on hydrocarbons is over. Well, they're quite right. It's really not over. But as far as investing prospects going forward and looking for oil, it's really not quite as attractive as it once was. So our reliance on the age of hydrocarbons is not over yet. And the numbers... GDP is adjusting down. The first estimate of quarter three in GDP comes in at 1.9. I suspect we'll see 1.6 out of that. I'd like to think it'll start creeping down in the numbers. It really shouldn't be up where it is now. Uh, nor is inflation really holding. It has slowed a little tiny bit. Unemployment has come up a little bit. And the yield curve is just as flat as it has been for the last six or eight months. That's not going to change. We have low rates. They're going to stay low until the economy perks up. Okay, nothing bad. It is consumers that are supporting this economy, very much so. The dark colors here is consumer spending. The light are other things, generally things like real estate bubbles, or lack of liquidity in the system, or a number of things that would have an impact that would really pull the growth in the economy down. We are not going to see a recession in the foreseeable future. Spending has been too good. And being 70% of the economy, that's kind of important. One of the places that people are spending money on is they're becoming homeowners once again. This started in 2016 and has been improving dramatically. Interest rates have come down. Affordability is much within reach of a lot more people. So they're buying, not renting. Though you see most of the things that are being built right now are multifamily units. Still, people are buying. We are getting back to the point where home ownership is returning to normal. We went through this huge bubble, as you can see, which was the beginning of the Great Recession in 2008. We had kind of a real estate valuation bubble, and people that are owning homes that really had no business owning homes, pop, you know the rest. We're returning to a stage of normalcy now with new home generation, new families, all that sort of stuff. Renting less, buying more, mostly because they have money to spend. Affordability is up when interest rates go down. That percentage of payment in someone's income drops down, makes homes more affordable to more people. They're out buying. Which leads me to an issue that you're going to hear a lot more about, well, out in the media right now. I don't want to talk about politics. It's about debt. Total global debt right now, I mean total identifiable debt, is about $255 trillion. Sounds like a big number. Well, that's $32,000 for each person on the planet. If we have 7.5, 7.7 billion people, they start off with $32,000 worth of debt on their heads. Sounds ominous. 
It really isn't. There's a lot of assets associated with that money. There's a lot of many good reasons to have that debt. Just so you know, 27% of that, or about $70 trillion, is government debt. The rest of it is individuals. It's mortgages. It's business debt. It's debt that's being used to grow a business or buy assets, or it's debt for people to buy houses around the world. The majority of the government debt is held by the U.S., Japan, and China. It's not dramatic. Is in fact that governments have assets too. Governments have bridges and harbors and militaries and roads and sewer systems. Those are the kind of assets governments buy. Individuals, they buy homes. Businesses buy equipment. It's simply a matter of how you want to pay for it. When you get a mortgage, somebody has an asset in that mortgage. When you pay it off, they no longer have an asset, you have a house. It's the same for governments with bridges. It's the same for governments in any sort of iterations, like in China, it's airports and bridges. This is nationally the U.S. consumer. The dark color there is basically financial assets. It's about uh, $100 trillion, 401ks, cash, money in the bank. We've talked about that. The maroon up there in the top is real estate assets. It's also $15, 20000000000000 trillion. There's a lot of money in the U.S., a lot of assets in the U.S. You look down there on the bottom underneath the zero, and that's about the $18 trillion worth of debt that consumers have. It just happens to be the GDP of the United States. The numbers are not overwhelming. The fact that there's so many assets in the United States just in the consumer category makes us kind of unique. Few places in the rest of the world have this kind of abundance, but it is one of the reasons that the U.S. is doing so well compared to the rest of the globe. The U.S. government is going to, well, go through another round of budget talks here pretty soon, and I'll remind you if you look at this. Clearly, the majority and the single largest expenditure, which is not negotiable, is Medicare and Medicaid, followed by the net interest on the debt it already has, Social Security, that's kind of non-negotiable. About 5% of GDP, 18, 19% of the federal budget, is discretionary. And that's all you can debate. The rest of it's already in the bag. Don't put any more drama in that than there is already. Debt is not overwhelming. It's not much of a burden. It is a tiny bit of a headwind and slowing growth down a little bit. But compared to what growth that's already been created on the creation of that debt, it's, it's night and day. On the other side of the coin, part talk about assets in the United States, we're now a petroleum clear exporter with a positive surplus in oil, 252 million, not a lot compared to world oil consumption, but it's been since the 80s since the U.S. has had output in oil like that. Our customers, biggest one being Canada, then South Korea, India, the Netherlands, the UK. Everybody's buying oil for a variety of reasons. It isn't that they're excluding the Middle East. Venezuela's out of the picture. A lot of these people don't like dealing with Russia. It's a lot simpler to deal with the US. And it is an integral part of our balance of payments. 
you'll notice here that China is buying a lot less oil than they used to. That's okay, there's other things going on in their world. I will remind everybody that uh, coal is still the number one reliant energy source for the rest of the world. Certainly, China and India, that is not going to change for the foreseeable future. The U.S. is making progress and the developed parts of Europe are making progress in sustainable energy, wind farms, solar, that sort of thing. But for the vast majority of the people in the world, it's going to be coal. It's as simple as that. The carbon debate goes on. I will say in this last trip through Dubai is they are developing programs on sustainable energy themselves, recognizing that oil is not going to be it forever. The large solar plant in Spain, that huge tower, that was pretty much done through Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. And the huge wind farm that I talked about a couple of episodes ago, that was done by them too. Anyway, we're a little overvalued in the S&P 500. Okay, it'd be nice that we have a correction. We'll probably have another correction here before the end of the year. We really have no business being up 22, 24, 26% on the year. Some places higher. Eh, it went a little overboard. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't think that things are falling apart. If we have a correction in the stock market, we're a little overdue. Other than that, as usual, send me questions or comments. That's at info at shwj.com. I get on all of them. And thanks for joining me.